Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. And hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 126 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast sure were myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We dismember a horror film for you. To dismember a horror film for you means we talk about what worked, what did not work, and anything that we found interesting or noteworthy about a, you heard right, you guessed right, horror film. And today... For episode 126, we watched from 1958, the original The Blob, (laughs) directed by Irvin S. Yeaworth Jr., produced by Jack H. Harris, written by Kay Lineker and Theodore Simonson, with a story by Irving H. Milgate. There you go, Tim. Thanks. I really appreciate it. I bet they all do, too. Absolutely. I appreciate it, too. Yeah, we got an Irvin and an Irving <laughs> amongst that wow. that group. <laughs> great, wow. great, Tim. Yeah. Tim, anything else you got before we, we wade right into the glooby, blooby blob that the blob is? Um, no, I mean, <laughs> my dad loves this movie, but I kind of want to like have him sit down and watch it again and see how much he still loves it. It'd be fun to get his two cents on it, for sure. Someone who's closer <laughs> to when it was released than we certainly are. I'm pretty sure he, you know, he was born in 49. He probably saw this in the theater as a, <laughs> yeah. as a kid. And that's why he thinks it's so awesome. Can you imagine seeing this as a nine-year-old? And, like, you know, I got into a lot of the <laughs> the behind-the-scenes special features and stuff with this one. And uh, it was really, like, one of the first, if the, if not the first color sci-fi horror films yeah so people were just especially just flipping out at this blob (laughs) this big red blob yeah it's pretty funny and to think your dad was amongst them that's pretty fun yeah somewhere in oh god i don't know where would he have been in wisconsin great (laughs) (laughs) which for me just all blends together as like i just picture it like this town from the blob yeah pretty much (laughs) (laughs) great well uh we do have a trailer for this film so should we watch that and keep it going sure all right here we go as i said from 1958 here's the trailer for the blob dave doc hallen's been killed doc hallen what happened it's over at his place you gotta come now wait a minute steve tell us what happened well i'm trying to tell you now this thing had killed the doc what was it stop with it kid but it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger. It. Every one of you watching this screen, look out, because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. 
of course, right up front, they just had to let us know they indeed are teenagers. <laughs> I liked because <laughs> I was confused. I was yeah, definitely uh, confused. Easy to be confused. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> kind of uh, one of the many ways it's classic, though. Yeah. Um, Though there were definitely critics at the time who called it out for it, which is funny. And I know Steve McQueen was self-conscious about that. And anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, or I am at least, Tim. (laughs) Tim. Tim, Yeah, hello, hello, yes. So for The Blob, should we proceed with our rating system? Would we tell ourselves to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? You know... I don't think it's very good. <laughs> I think I would say stream it. It just didn't. Yeah. yeah. I it It's a bummer because it's, you know, I don't know, considered classic in some respect or all respects or whatever. But I just, it's just, it's just not good. The Tim good just- parts don't outweigh. The 90% rest of the movie that is just a blah. It's not a blob. It's a blah. <laughs> um, despite all that, would you still be down to go to Blobfest and see the film someday at the theater <laughs> it was shot at? Sure. Okay. <laughs> that sounds fun. That sounds way more interesting than the movie. Great, great. I... I've been all I was all sorts of places in how I wanted to rate this, Tim. I um while watching it, I was feeling you what you said. <laughs> what, what? You don't know what I'm gonna say. <laughs> he has his his face in his hands. Um I yeah, where I I mean honestly, I was just like so frustrated with the whole parents cops not believing the teenager oh, thing. God. It was just so frustrating in that way, you know? But but I feel like just, just watching this and going through this the special features and everything, it just made me like fall in love with the premise like all I over love again. The premise, don't get me wrong. And that in the end it does deliver on that premise. And now that I am I haven't seen it in forever and I'm reminded that it is like largely based on just the teens not being able to convince the parents thing i think that won't annoy me again um yeah and it also just got me excited for the stuff all over again which i gave a rent so like yeah honestly after the two days sleeping on this and and absorbing all the stories behind it and stuff not only would i want to put the stuff now to a buy it for me i also (laughs) would put the blob to a buy it oh wow i and so I guess for some more context too, like the 1950s, I guess that's all. The 1950s, I love, I love, 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 like just things that were made then, the 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 way it's captured, whether at the time or from future people looking back at it. Like I just love it so, so much. And this feels kind of like, yeah, kind of like I said at the beginning, it's rare to have that in color where it's like a sci-fi horror movie from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Steve McQueen, I think it was totally fun and interesting and kind of weird in a way that 
I don't know that, that that's I really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Committed, um, much like Carnival of Souls. I just like love the kind of fun story of how it was produced and put together in a more independent spirit. So, and and then would I just and, and then like the special effects, how they did those at the time, and like how that was this whole other like half year production after the production yeah. that they got themselves sure. into, and how innovative it was. Um, <laughs> and then just when you think there's no other movie where you get those shots of them running out of the theater like that are quite like this. Like, this is the quintessential that. So it... So, yeah, even the the, the initial viewing was kind of mixed. I wasn't sure if I wanted to give her a rent it or buy it. I was suddenly going to rent it. I've now settled to, yeah, man, I want the blob. I want the stuff. I want more blob. This is great. I, I can't say the word enough. Blob, 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 blob. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, you're entitled to your opinion. (laughs) (coughs) And so are you, Tim. You're entitled to your opinion. Yeah. But I didn't, I mean, you'll see, I didn't have tons of what works. So it's really is like. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a vibe. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Dude, but from. I'm with it. From the, I mean, I'll get in, I'll save it for now. I've already said enough. I'll get into what worked once we get into what worked. But uh, should we get into the simple setup of what our story here was? Sure. Our summary, yeah. Yeah, you got Steve and Jane. Right. Steve McQueen is Steve. Yep. Always a a funny reality when you, you know, you see a, a young new sort of star getting, like, getting a bigger break. And I feel like this is just a thing. I don't know why they think they need to do this. If it's like a version of coddling the actor to make them just, they think it'll just make them feel more comfortable if they name the character their own name, like whatever. Anyway, so they do that. And uh, so they're, you know, they're on a date. They're on at lover's lane kind of shit. And they see a shooting star. It's really a meteor. And they're like, oh, I'm going to check it out, meteor. Um, and so it it sparks Steve's interest really more than anything to go check it out. And on their way to check it out, they run into uh, an old man who lived in the area of where the meteor landed. And he had gotten curious. <laughs> that and he guy. pokes it with a stick. <laughs> And yeah. it, it cracks open and there's a little blob inside of it. And then he, like a dumbass, like lets it, whatever, blob down the stick and then grab his hand and starts it eating. It blobs up the stick. Well, that's right. Blobs up the stick and starts basically eating his hand, you know? So he flips out. He runs into the street, runs into Steve and Jane. They pick him up, oh, take him to the Take him to the doctor at night. So good. His scream, who he is, he's like such the quintessential yeah. like kook outside he's of town. This old dude with messed up hair and patches <laughs> on his jeans. It's great. <laughs> like iron on patches, which I think is even funnier. So then we're off to the races, right? The big thrust of the movie is that the doctor obviously buys in because he's looking at the damn thing growing on the old man's hand. And it, 
you know, it continues to devour and spread. So the doctor's like, this is serious. We should amputate this guy's arm off. And meanwhile, Steve and Jane have have gone to the – or sorry, they, they've been asked to go check out the old man's place to see, like, what's up. And so they take their – <laughs> their teenager friends, their 30-year-old teenager friends uh, out into the woods and they run around. They find pieces of the meteor. Uh, what else? They I don't know. They come back. They fight with the cops because they're like, hey. Oh, they see. So they go back to the doctor and they and Steve sees the doctor getting attacked and devoured by the blob. In the, in the interim, the doctor and his nurse had uh, – uh, the blob had totally devoured the old man and then turns on the doctor and the nurse and, and goes after them. So and then, Steve, yeah, he's suitably horrified. Oh, and that yeah. Becomes, that's the real thrust of our story here is he is shocked. He is beyond shocked as he should be. Yeah, and like he keeps kind of saying like – this is crazy and what I just saw I get is crazy, but I saw it and we need to do something about it. And like all the adults, all of the cops, well, except one, <clears throat> are pretty much like, ah, you're just pulling our leg. You're just a kid. You're just a teenager. You're just up to no good. And it goes on and on with that nonsense. So That's actually more – that's one cop versus there's that cop who has a vendetta against teens because of something that happened to his wife or something like killed in an accident or something like that then you have like the main sheriff guy who's kind of like well hold on there didn't didn't, we don't know they did anything the reasonable one and then there's the sort of more quiet uh chess playing one who doesn't seem to really take sides it's just kind of whatever (laughs) yeah and then you've got their parents who are kind of two sides of a coin of like Jane's parent uh, dad is all worked up and Steve's dad seems very kind of what would you call that he's sort of like quiet and reserved and not like Steve at all he's kind of conservative in the classic sense of like he's a good boy he's done nothing to lie <laughs> you should right. believe him and yeah. then um Jane's dad is the school principal too right right um and then it I don't know, man. It sort of meanders. Like, to me, it just sort of meanders. The The highlights are that, you know, it's late. It's, it's, it's after midnight in this town. We know that there's a bunch of people at the midnight showing of a horror film something at the theater. And Steve and Jane sneak out to continue to investigate what the hell is going on. The blob gets a couple people. You know, like nobody really knows that that the blob is getting people or that it even exists. So it gets a a mechanic and uh, it it shows up in the grocery store. It gets the grocery store like janitor guy. Um, And then Steve and Jane go into the grocery store and it almost gets them. But, you know, key key moment, they they go into the walk in cooler and the blob tries to get in and then and then goes away. And then uh 
this is a play-by-play. Yeah, what we don't. Else? This is just a short summary, man. We just and then and then they a blob, all team a up. Blob at the, from outer space comes to town, a small town, and d- devours townspeople until a teenager and his girlfriend can alert the town and uh, warn them that the blob is there. Until they can, yes, convince the skeptical adults to. Yeah. Uh, well, they basically until they see it for themselves, and then That's they right. all so work. They never were convinced. <laughs> then they all work together in the end to yeah. defeat to stop the menace, the the red menace. Wait, that's something else. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, metaphor bounds. Right. Great, 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 great. All right. Well, let's get into our first section then. What worked? What I mean, Tim, the opening credits were like, that's, I I wanted to give it a buy it just for those opening credits. I love them so much from the song (laughs) to the animation, just that combination. I've been on, um, I love that stuff too, but. Do you did you feel like it was appropriate for this movie? It's true. Yeah, there were um, <laughs> there was original score that I think the director was kind of sad was you know the studio replaced or whatever, but but yeah, I think like it can still it allows us to sort of it allowed me at least like rather than saying oh this is totally totally like tongue in cheek and whatever. Um, like it might kind of suggest the the music, and which if you haven't heard it, it's kind of like uh, it gets has kind of like a tequila start to it, and it has yeah, it's a like it's, beach it's, blanket bingo-y. It's um, Burt Bacharach is one of his first writing credits, and it Not sounds surprised. very much like something he'd do. But something, it's weird. It had like a doubling over effect for me. Where like, because I felt like I could go in to this more fun, kitschier way, then it allowed me to actually get on board with it in the serious way too. Versus if I had the sort of classic upfront beginning of like, this should only be taken, you know, mm-hmm. seriously and terrifying. Like, I love that too. But... I don't I don't know. And again, maybe it was just so of the time that I just that something of being like so of the time just brought me to that time and brought me to being that audience. And like it was still great and still classic, that song. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. It's sort of I think the theme for me throughout this movie is that there are individual elements or moments that stand alone. And I like as in you know as singular things so you know that doesn't necessarily ever it doesn't always add up to a great movie um but i yeah like that that song and the animation in particular i don't know it's not nostalgia because we you know it's not our era but <laughs> it, it i love that stuff any yeah. of that stuff for some reason is just like it's like the first, you know, the original opening of uh, the first Bond movie. You know, there's, it's just like, it's 
there's something uh I don't know what how to describe the feeling that it gives me. But but it gives me a feeling. <laughs> I don't know. It's for me it's the feeling is you are allowed to have fun. It, like, you know, and it's it's allows it's kind of like I said that doubling over effect yeah. of like because you don't have to take this seriously, you can take it seriously. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I I I dig it. I'm I'm with you on that one. Well, even though I, it sounded like you said that it kind of meandered or whatever, I really loved the pacing of it actually, hmm. where it seemed like the it was just that classic classic just monster on the loose it kills people throughout the the people are you know on the tail trying to to stop it or whatever and it keeps killing you know the occasional person until the big showdown like it just is the classic that you know yeah and just something i noticed the kills i felt like they came at just exactly the right time and i don't know everything was i liked everything in between too like they were just kind of whether it was the the weirdo like little brother and just like that scene with him on the staircase, we're just going like what? Whether it's kind of like this whole back and forth between his like I kind of hate the word, but like frenemies is kind of what they are. Yeah. Like they're drag racing each other, but then they have to convince each other. I don't. I, it just sort of set up this whole fun little world. Um, just that it was all in the small town. That it was kind of like. I love the thing where it's like it just started as an innocent date they were on, but then just turns into this adventure over a single night. So I like watched it, you know, from that perspective of like they're just, you know, movie starts with them necking in Lover's Lane. And then it's like then here's the rest of their evening where it led. Like I, I liked I don't know. That's fun as a jumping off point to me. And just meeting, yeah, I mean, and then as frustrated as I was with the cops, I think the fact that you had the one that was like, that they weren't all like, oh, darn kids, but mm-hmm. it was, that was all wrapped up in one cop, that it felt like it was more about that in a way, you know? Right. But acknowledged it in a way a lot of these movies don't. Yeah, and and there's, there is this sort of clearly overarching I don't know if it's a message or a theme or it's at least an attempt to sort of point at a thing of like adults in general being dismissive of teenagers and like what the implication of that may be. Because like I think in particular it stands out when uh, (laughs) – when – Steve recruits all of the the teenagers from the movie theater. They all they they go out and he's like, "Look, we got to warn everybody." And that's cool. And then they all split up and start going door to door. And two of them, I don't remember which one. I think it's Tony and his girlfriend, but maybe it's not. Uh they <laughs> they go up to a house, like a a fairly like big house, knock on the door, and this there's a clearly an adults party happening where they're like they're they're having a cocktail party or soiree or whatever and the host who answers the door is this sort of like i don't know how would you describe him he he's austere in a way i guess (laughs) but he's totally smashed and like does not listen to a word they're saying like like completely disregards what they're saying is just like, yeah, man, let's have fun. And like, 
that thing, and they do the same thing kind of with the bartender. The another couple of our teenagers go into the bar bar and like they're like, hey, you know, you gotta be whatever, watch out. And he's like, he's like, yeah, the only monsters I see are drunks. And it's like, dude, like. Listen to what they're saying. Like, why would they even go in there in the first place, right? So there's this, there's this overarching thing of people just being like, "Ah, eh, you're dumb." And like, I I like that. I think it's it only sort of scratches the surface in this movie, but I I like where it's going with it. You, but it's like for the time though. You know, seeing what it was like, it may feel yeah. I guess. From our modern perspective, it's scratching the surface. But this was a, a whole push in another direction of movies that weren't like doing this at all, where teenagers right. were just miscreants. So it's like well, everything they did to, huh? So you know, only three years earlier, Rebel Without a Cause was sort of the quintessential version of this story. Yeah, where it, it is all about only about a teenager who feels. You know, what it's like to be a teenager and have the world around him just not make sense. And like they do that, they do what the blob is trying to do in a very dramatic way. Yeah. And in every single scene. So, like, I appreciate that and I, I kind of get what they're going at. Um, it's, I like end. though <laughs> that it was acknowledged in this movie though. Like, I really like the moment. I guess it was towards the middle, I forget exactly, when when Steve's kind of ready to give up and throw his hands up in the air, and Jane's encouraging him, and he's like, well, what are we supposed to do then? What am I going to do? And she's like, well, you just keep trying. You know, if you saw this, and I, I don't know, I really like that moment. And yeah. where you say maybe it didn't get as in-depth as you like, I thought it just felt like, it just seemed on par for it's over a single night. There's a very just clear goal of just trying to convince them, and that's there, and it didn't need to get more complicated than that. Sure, yeah. Um, well, was were you saying any of that to... I guess you didn't agree it was well-paced, but, I mean, did you have a something um, in there that was a clear what worked and what you were saying? I mean, I think the... I don't know. I yeah, I mean, I think I said it sort of. Just the the attempt worked. <laughs> the attempt right. at, at leaning in on that. But I just, I don't know. Mm. I liked, um, I, you know, I mentioned Jane being the one to tell him basically what to do. Of yeah. course, it's like she's not nearly as much as I'd like her to be as, you know, a lot of the, the, the women, you know, co-leads or whatever. Um, you know, having as much to do as I'd like. But she, I, I did really appreciate the moments and see that it definitely was pushing more than I'm sure a lot of other movies where I loved, of course, that moment where she basically is the only one who knows what to do when he's clueless, the dude's clueless. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when she makes that great quip making fun of the cop was so good. Oh, yeah. You remember where he's like, they're just trying to make us look silly here with this blob or this prank or whatever. And she goes, I think you're doing plenty of good job of that yourself. Or <laughs> What a burn. Yeah, it was so good. Like, oh, <laughs> burn. Exactly. Um, I really so like when she, uh, when she sees the blob in the grocery store for the first time and 
she falls into a can, like a, a can tower, you know, like one of those displays of cans. She falls into that thing so hard. It's like, it's really convincing, man. She goes down like a ton of bricks into this tower. And uh, and then Steve, <laughs> he like catapults himself up over the, the shelves of the aisle. It's yeah, like a yeah, really yeah, – yeah. <laughs> the whole sequence, that actually might be my favorite sequence is the grocery store sequence. Mm-hmm. I think that one has the most sort of like, oh, no, look out. You're in trouble. There it is. Got to get away. Now we're screwed because we're we're trapped. Oh, no, yeah. we're not trapped. Like it has that nice kind of reversal sequencing. So that that one I think probably stands out the most. I love how they got led there too where they the dog was the That's one right. hot on the blob's trail, which yeah. is a fun way to kind of like <laughs> justify the dog being there aside from it just being cute. Yeah, yeah. Old man, whatever his name was, his dog. Oh, right. <laughs> um, old old man. That's his name. <laughs> yeah, actually. In the credits. Olin, his name's Olin Howlin as old man. Wow. What, what a name. Olin Howlin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not much more to say about it. I already said it kind of before what worked, but just the fact that it is in the 50s, Mm-hmm. and was made then is so great. And I think, I mean, you could say this about any movie from the 50s, which is why it's weird, but it just feels especially applicable for this one to say, like, the way it's not just about 1958 people, but feels like it's how 1958 people saw themselves. Sure. Like, just just something about that, like... It's that extra layer of putting you in a place and just sort of the mindset of a time versus, you know, my other favorites, Happy Days in American Graffiti, mm-hmm. just made much, you know, way after the fact as nostalgia, as nostalgia films. But um, it's cool. It felt like a nostalgia film from the time it was made, just uh, this extra layer of, of putting you there. Um, yeah, I really, really loved that about it. And yeah, you see, oh, yeah, go ahead. It, it, it does make me. It makes me curious, I mean, kind of like anything in this sort of time capsule way, to be like, like, what was the world like right then? You know, like, what was sort of going on in in the world and in the minds of the people making this movie, even just from a um, kind of a collective consciousness way? Because, uh, like... 58 wasn't wasn't the Korean War right around then I think that was like 55ish or something like that um what impact did sort of the the events of the world have on this and is there the sort of an underlying you know maybe theme or maybe just like uh motif that that consciously or not consciously is happening this idea of the thing this sort of amorphous otherworldly thing that devours you yeah like i i it always intrigues me the 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 idea of what the deeper sort of layers of that could be intentional or not but at the end of the day i think part of why this general concept works so well is because it's just vague enough in that sense that you can insert a lot of your own personal it could be you know 
it can it holds up universally because it is this just amorphous idea in actual blob form right and i think that thing that 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 might be the most compelling thing about the concept and why it actually kind of come keeps coming up you know over the years right like there's been a remake and there's sort of you know versions of this in in different forms monster blood is a goosebumps one i love yeah so there's something about that I, I, that i i really love and i i mean granted limitations of the time and and production or whatever the biggest thing about this movie that i think works is the the whole idea of wanting more of it like every time the blob shows up i'm like super excited yeah <laughs> me too so i don't know there's something cool about that from a maybe a, a thematic or philosophic point of view that also works really really well for me on top of the fact that just visually it's so cool so yes <laughs> yeah i mean you know and it can just come down to that it's visually so cool and then here we are you know trying to ask why 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 is that right. exactly but so sort of two thoughts on you know you you mentioned the premise and uh what it says or what did people at the time make of it or mm -hmm. why it you know came out then i mean yeah it's kind of it's, I mean, yeah, it's, you're essentially saying this, but it's just that the premise is so, um, it's a, it's a high premise. It's a clear mm -hmm. premise. It's a, it's high concept. Yeah. And those really are the best, like just, just possibly likely mindless. We don't know devouring machine in it. It represents, I guess for me, um, I don't, you know, you look at it as a force of nature, basically, unstoppable force of nature, which is great, which is sort of tied to in the ending when Steve, you know, they say, oh, it'll be frozen forever in the Arctic. And then he goes, unless the Arctic melts, just this idea of like nature is always unpredictable. It can't be reliable. So, yeah. So just this, that it's straight up such a high concept, you know, I think has a lot to do with its, its classic status and why it's revisited in different forms. But then as far as, yeah, why at the time and what did people making of the time, why is, you know, what works therein with that? For me, it's kind of like the joy of when we learned that tidbit about Fiend Without a Face, another 50s movie we watched, um, one we both loved, loved, loved. Uh, but remember, they had that promotional stunt where they had like the fiend out front of a New York theater, and it was just like bedlam. Like people were going crazy for it, and it would like move around, and people like drove from everywhere to go see it and stuff. Um, oh so my god! Similarly, just to like the idea of the blob in itself, and people just getting on board with monster movies. Like I just like. Like politics aside, you know, time aside, it was people confused as ever, blah, 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 blah. But to see people just having fun and like pure joy with just a monster movie premise and that connecting to these people from that time in this way, you know, and it's old enough now that like, you know, they're, if you know, you're, you're old if you were a kid in this movie kind of thing, you know, it's a, it's a further and further lost time ago. Um, as, <laughs> so as how the the past works um <laughs> but there's something so satisfying about seeing these past people 
it, just having as much as a ball as present people would with just something this is simple and non-complicated as because it's horror, it's sci-fi, it's ridiculous. It's just great in that sense. And like I can tie that too when my this, the classic scene in this is when they're all running out of the movie theater away from the blob. It's coming through the little windows and the projection booth in the back. But it's what's so great about it when wherever you look, when you we look at the people running out, like I'd say a quarter of them are like laughing or smiling. They're just having a ball. And it's it's just great because it's like they're having so much fun, they just can't help themselves. <laughs> and they're they're just yeah. like real people, you know, um, just act, yeah. cast as extras in the small town or whatever. And then you have the other three quarters of them are like doing their darndest to just scream and look terrified. And it kind of reminded me of something like um, 2000 Maniacs when you just have the locals playing extras. And there's just something so special about seeing like all these people who are non-actors, but like this is their moment to like react as if there's a monster, you know, chasing after them. And it's just, there's something so special and fun about that. Even if it's not, you know, an Oscar worthy performance, it's their version of doing it and going for it. And it's just so special and fun to me. I love it. Yeah. I, you know, the more I think about the setting and that sort of small town USA thing that that exists in this and little details the more i i sort of am leaning that there was kind of a an attempt to to say something in this movie broad a broader attempt um so the first thing that sticks out to me and, and you know look maybe i'm reaching for stuff but whatever i'm going to go with it cuz i think it's cool the theater itself is called the Colonial Theater. I don't think that's a, like you know just random. The Colonial Theater, the the place that they end up getting trapped and almost dying in at the end is a very quintessential diner, right? Like that is every sort of Norman Rockwell diner, Middle America, you know. I don't know what else to call it. It's sort of a symbol of Americanism of the 40s and 50s. Uh, And then this idea of this lead dude, I think the biggest thing that stands out about Steve's character that is very clearly purposeful is that for the first, mm, at least half of the movie, he says in response to people like, questioning where he's coming from like like the things that he's seen and like what's going on and all of that he says i don't know constantly i mean he says it like 10 times as a response right like when they're like well then what happened to the body yeah and he's like i don't know that's such an unusual thing for a lead man you know they're really it's they're really moving away from the the traditional ideas of what a lead is. And I think that there there's something in that all those things that there's almost sort of this attempt to kind of be like we and and what the blob does. The blob devours this every town USA town. It devours the symbol of 50s 40s 50s USA in in the uh uh, in the diner, it, it takes over the movie theater, right? It like 
explodes the colonial movie theater. So it almost feels like there's sort of this this theme of like the you know the 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 old guard, the old way of looking at things or the things that we've stood on as Americans and hold up as symbols of Americanism get devoured and the only person who could stop it is somebody who can actually admit that they don't have all the answers. And and that, that that's okay, that that's, you know, it's still noble for him to be, you know, to be the lead person and and not know. So there's there there does feel like there's this sort of deeper thing going on. And like he figures it out. So even if you weren't gonna like peel back that onion and just take it at at face value, he spends most of the movie not knowing until he knows the answer and then it solves it saves the day. So that's cool. But I I like this idea of those things being connected and actually being sort of a broader, you know, maybe thematic thing that's going on. Yeah, I agree. It's all there. And I think now that you pointed it out is largely something I I loved about it. It I don't think it I I see it more as being just a part of the fabric of it versus something intentional. Yeah, I, um, I kind of feel that may be true too. Which is neither it that doesn't hurt or help no. it. I, I honestly I if anything, I think it helps it because if it's it was about the time made at the time. It's just one mm-hmm. of those things by the virtue of it shooting it in a set and setting it in a small town in rural America, um, nineteen fifty seven when they made it. Uh it's just it's it's great. It's all there. It's all there. And the fact that he um yeah, doesn't have all the answers that works really well for the payoff like we're as frustrating as it is just having it all rest on the adults not believing the kids or not being sure to believe the kids whatever that it it makes the ending that much more gratifying when they do all finally work together like exactly i mean i think that (laughs) really is if you're gonna take just one thing away it's like when everybody you know, when everybody has is sort of, what's the word? Uh, uh, you know, when divisiveness is happening and everybody's looking at everybody else through a sort of individual lens, it's you're never going to get anything done. Yeah. And when you fucking work together <laughs> and actually like listen to each other. Right. And I love it, especially something about when that's a cross generational thing. Where it's mm-hmm. like you have the quote unquote establishment that all the people who are r- run the world, so to speak, actually connect with the the truth quote unquote that the kids bring. It really like it it made the ending. It was so satisfying because of that. It really did feel like just you know when it caught up in the movie way. Like this is the feeling as if our government and Congress got on board with fighting, uh, you know, all the things with fighting global warming, let's say is applicable here, you know, nature, um, doing the right thing with nature. Um, It it felt like that kind of joyous, you know, if that were to happen kind of thing where it's like, and then just seeing them fight the battle together, the joint cause where all the teenagers working together with all the other townsfolk and the police and the firefighters to, to defeat the blob it <laughs> just oh it's so good yeah so even just from that like on that level it's really satisfying yeah i mean granted for me it took 
it felt like an eternity to get there, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I think the only, the the big other thing that stood out to me that <laughs> I I both think is amazing and also just sort of amusing, I guess at the same time. The way that they shoot the blob often is you know they it's it's what a, it's sort of they do a combination of different styles of effects mm-hmm. with this right so there's the there's the kind of uh blue screen it would have been i guess version which is just sort of they put put they projected a blobby thing onto the film right like they took pictures of the blobby thing just being a blob most of the just it being round stuff is that sometimes you get it moving or whatever and i'd be curious to like did you watch stuff on how that was done did they have they stuff on never it never mentioned anything Damn. like that and i don't even think blue screen existed at the time it did okay um they they didn't mention any effects like the ones that they mentioned were of course the reverse speed stuff and then or mm. you know re- reverse um you know, like how it goes up the stick right, or right. like through vents and stuff like that. Yep. And then just miniatures basically. I, so and that's then the, the drawings. one that, that I love the most. So there's, <laughs> yeah, there are a handful of shots of the blob. Like we've established a location. So they do it with the diner. I think they do it with the grocery store. And they definitely do it with the theater where they've taken just a picture from the film, right? The, like they've taken a frame from the film and they've printed it out onto yeah. paper and then they've put the paper, like glued the paper onto cardboard <gasps> and then cut out features like the seats of the diner yeah. are, are you know, cut out and placed so that there's a three-dimensional aspect to it. And then they cut like the doorway they make an actual slit in the cardboard so that they can shove the the blob jelly whatever through it in a in essentially a, a close up. It is it's actually pretty amazing for what it is because it takes about mm, two seconds for your brain to actually register that what you're looking at is not actually the space that they're they're existing in. Right, that it is these cardboard cutouts, but just it's just super cool. Yeah, like I they, love it so much. It totally sells everything about the blob moments. Of course, and I mean, yeah, as they said, kind of like a lot of great, you know, like Star Wars or whatever. The effects took so long because they were inventing them as they went along. Right. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. Like, there's a moment when the blob sort of like stretches out and and is like poking at stuff. It's so cool. I have, mm-hmm. I honestly don't know how they did it, but I wish there I mean, there's got to be a documentary somewhere that like goes into it, but there's a um I mean there's the two uh commentaries I made it through. Okay. One with the producer and uh I don't know who he was, but I'm just going to call him a blob scholar. And then the second <laughs> one was with uh the director and the actor, one of the actors, one of the dudes and I uh, <laughs> uh, wasn't That's able to so finish funny. that one. Um, but there's a whole, I watched, it was great. There's a, maybe this is more things of note, but whatever. Uh, there's a documentary 
remember I recommended the website Cinemasker, that YouTube channel that James Ralph does, and he mm-hmm. has this stuff on a bunch of horror movies. He did a he did a little video. It's cool. It's like a full twenty minute little visit video on that town and Blobfest. I think it was nice. two thousand eight Blobfest, two thousand nine, something like that. And anyway, one of the characters he meets to roundabout answer your question is uh, someone who's the owner of the um, the blob itself, like the surviving blob <laughs> of the blob. And he sort of took the mantle of writing a whole book on the behind the scenes and the making of mm. the blob. So even if there's an, an actual documentary about all those special effects things for you, there is a book. Cool. That's a th- thorough, thorough making of. Nice. Yeah. Well, but I agree. What worked special effects, just great classic, even when it is the like, this is so hokey stuff at the end where it's like these clearly just these cartoons of like the electrical wire falling onto the blob and everything. It's still just great. I love it. Yeah, it still is okay. (laughs) I mean, it's just fun. So who cares at that point? (laughs) It's still, it's, it's, it's a handmade, manmade. It's, it's great. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, I don't need to get specific, but basically just all the little, all the little set pieces in between the big opening and the big finish, I just did crack me up and I enjoyed and largely just cause of the actors, just, I don't, I don't that they were fifties people set yeah. in the fifties. Loved it, loved it, loved it. That little kid, though, like, what was his deal, Tim? <laughs> oh man, I don't know. That's just how kids are? Like, no. Definitely not. Okay. That's how that kid is. Although, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had those pajamas that he's wearing. Funny. Funny. Maybe yeah. your dad, uh, you know, when he remembers seeing the blob as a kid and <laughs> wanted to dress his kid as a yeah, little 50s right? kid. Hopefully he didn't want me to act like that kid. My God. No. <laughs> so weird. Uh, anyway, it sounds like uh, that's it you have. I mean, that's, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. that's kind of all I have. The ending was great. Kill it by putting it in the the Arctic. It was fun. All the and, all uh, the cars. Oh yeah, I loved that when they get uh, all the cars honking to get the town to show up. Oh, what's going on here? Blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> it's great. Yep. Cool. And I guess this last thing on. I mean, I, I was just curious. Like when you said Steve McQueen is acting a certain way and or is doing a certain thing with his character, how would you define what that is and like what worked for you about his performance? Oh man, he's an interesting dude. Um, I think that Steve McQueen's one of those people who because like part of what catapulted him is just that he could literally just stand and exist and do nothing. And we would be, we would find him compelling. And some people are just like that, right? Uh, His acting in this, I would say, is not great if you look at all of the acting he did as he, you know, throughout his career. Like this is, he he feels Mm -hmm. green to me in this one more than any other thing I've seen. Like he feels like he's trying to act like James Dean but do Steve McQueen's version of James Dean, which is an interesting and very strange thing at times. Like he does a couple things that Dean did in other movies, just mannerism things that I was like, oh, weird. But um, he had such a strange childhood and, and upbringing 
that I think that that just is in him. Like we, he's just that kind of dude. And so in this, the my only issue because he's compelling, but my only issue is just that he's so clearly an older dude. And he's not that old. He's 20, I don't know, 27 or 28 or something like that when they film this. But because he's one of those guys who like had kind of a rough life, like rough childhood, it wears on him. Like he or he wears his experiences. So it's it's a double-edged sword because we're compelled by him because of those things and just who he is. But like trying to swallow that he's 17, no. <laughs> So, so and that worked so for you because it, it works for me in that they just throw it out. They're yeah. like it just it's just Steve McQueen. Just let him do his thing. <laughs> yeah, which I lo- I actually really love. Like just the idea that somebody is so compelling that you just you it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. And here, that's a good way for me to kind of connect back to what I started saying with what the opening titles and that theme song does Mm. when i said it allows you to not take things seriously therefore you can take it more seriously or maybe just get into it more like steve mcqueen being not 17 is a perfect example of that like i let my sort of uh judgmental guard down or whatever (laughs) yeah uh, because of that and then can just get on board yeah it's an it's he's an interesting dude i actually would like to explain I mean, I've gone down a couple rabbit holes about his life, and it's it's very interesting. Well, we have another section before Things of Note, but I'll have a bit more on him for Things of Note. So. Oh, cool. Great. But you're set for our next section then. Oh, yeah. All right. Here we go. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I, you know, it's not so much that we're trying to buy in that he's 17. What didn't work for me is that the movie is trying to remind us and hammer it home a little too much that he's 17. Like, you could, like, we didn't have to constantly be told, hey, remember, they're teenagers. There's crazy teenagers. You teenagers, stop doing things, teenagers. Even by, like, in the title, having them listed as the teenagers like (laughs) in the opening titles that's they are separated as the teenagers like don't do that we i didn't need any of that i would have bought in more and just accepted it if they had lightened up on that stuff honestly my it's funny because this is a you could say what didn't work but is the opposite of coming from the opposite place of that, where like I actually wanted more just kind of quintessential what I think of <laughs> 50s stuff. Like I wanted to see him maybe at their school or something like sure. that. Like I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have minded a little more of them being teenagers somehow. <laughs> I mean, all that's there is great. So it's not a huge what didn't work, but I don't know. For some reason, I just wanted to see like them in school at some point. But whatever. Yeah. That's it's all over one night. So you couldn't really do that. Anyway, yeah, I it would have been cool, I think, to get a little more of what you're saying that like um, them living in their natural environment, right? That I think that helps us get sold on who they are. 
Yeah, that's the weird thing is, though, they did that as much as they could for it being all over the course of a night. So that's right. why it's just kind of like, okay, whatever. But I think that just speaks to, I don't know, I, I like their little world and I like the running time it is, but whatever. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's, I just, I my biggest complaint is that you just have these series of scenes in between blob moments that... I don't even like they're they're hard to even describe because they're just so kind of nothing burgers of conversation. Like they va- they're important in their essence. Like what what is what the scene gets across ultimately in most of them is totally part of the story. But they just hang on to the scenes for way too long for me. Like for example, the first time we meet the doctor, right? He's closing up shop. He's like, "All right, I'm I'm heading out. See it. See you next week or whatever he says." That's all we needed to know. But then he like gets on the phone, has this long conversation that's just saying the same thing over and over, and it's just like he's just standing there on the phone. It just seems like filler to me. Like they didn't really have a lot of actual script going on, so they just. They just filled out scenes that didn't it they don't give us anything worthwhile. We got the information we needed. He's not he's trying to go out of town. We need that information so that later when the cops are like, what happened here? We they can go on the search for him. Right. That's fine. But like everything else is just whatever. Like after (laughs) the other weird thing that in the opening or opening moments is the whole interaction between Steve and his frenemies, as you put it, when they run into each other at first, it really seems like they don't know each other. Like they're acting like, Hey, you just, you drove fast around us. Do you know who we are? You're the, you're the new King. So you need to like wear the crown. They do this whole thing. And it seems like, Oh, he just crossed the like local hoods and he like they don't know each other they have no connection to each other like wrong side of the tracks kind of stuff and then they they do their little backwards drag race which i thought was funny and the cop he steve has this conversation with the cop who he knows and then he drives back up to the guys that he was racing and they're all buddies they're like what happened (laughs) What was that about? And they're like, oh, yeah, that was Dave. Oh, yeah, They're Dave. just waiting there so long during this conversation that Steve's having with the cops, to, the cop, too. Like, what are they doing that whole time? It cracked me up. It's so strange. And just it just feels awkward and weird. And then they have this long, long conversation of everybody just standing outside of Steve's car. And you're like, are okay, so are they going to, like, get back into it and have some sort of conflict or is it going to resolve somehow? No, they just move on. They're like, oh. Steve's like, hey, oh, hey, I just remembered. I got to go do a thing. You guys want to come along? And they're like, no, nah, we want to go to the movies. It's just like, what is happening? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's like they said, we don't really have a script. So can you guys just stand around the car and talk for the next five minutes? Because we got to fill out the scene. <laughs> Yeah. It just doesn't feel like it anything. And it bums me out because I, I want things to 
connect, you know, to something or like to make us feel feel something, some sense of urgency or whatever in this movie. Or like why are you putting it off? There's stuff to be done. Like have I need something. You can see how for me that connected within itself and yes. and how what it's a trade-off that it works for me in the end where the the good outweighs the bad as far as all that stuff just for me smells of super independent film made yeah. outside the Hollywood system and i think just the cumulative effect of like maybe you know that trade-off is worth it for me of like yeah you may have these scenes where it's like they go on a little long but combined with it's just fun watching the actors do anything for me mm-hmm. and, you know in in these settings in the situation it's almost pushes it in the realm of hangout movie in that little bit that mm-hmm. i like mm-hmm. um and then That's yeah interesting. and then it just adds it all to this really independent spirit that just sort of i don't know make make the, all that click to me versus me wanting it to be something else like cuz then everything else that was maybe the more obvious or clear like good stuff to come out of what was in the, you know the independent spirit side of it just um yeah i don't know it, it all, all all worked for me yeah i think ultimately the the problem i have with that style i guess especially in a movie that is about a singular threat is i i personally prefer a movie that has a straight that that has a straight line right like we know it there's and this one sort of does but it, it I, I think it gets murky and is hurt by certain aspects but i when you establish the straight line there's this thing that's going to potentially kill people we have to figure it out the fun to me is all of the like hiccups and hurdles and roadblocks and like things that sort of get in the way like the zigzagging you do along the straight line but when you have scenes that they're not even a zigzag they're just they're on they're on another line like or they're not on a line at all they're just nothing is it's just people existing my my willingness to get on board with that there needs to be something else within the scene that is compelling enough for me to get on board with that so an example of somebody a a director who does that really well is tarantino right like he'll just have a scene that goes on and on and on but he's able to sort of make the scene interesting enough and have it's like the thing of when you when you hold the joke long enough a bad joke becomes funny this never accomplishes that and so it, it, that to me is sort of the problem it's like a really good writer could have made every single one of those scenes in this movie that feel kind of like where are we going and what's going on feel like something but that just doesn't exist in this movie. So it's like like you're saying it's like you either get on board or not. But it's uh, it's just missing for me like my taste, it's just missing elements that get me on board. Can you imagine a Tarantino blob movie? It would be the greatest thing ever. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, exactly. You would you would probably see the blob just as much as you do in this movie. 
Yeah. And every other scene would be amazing because it would be like us getting to here's the thing getting to know the townspeople is so important to me in this type of movie and we it it almost gets us there but doesn't quite like we we start to to like knock on the door of that and and don't quite arrive i want to know the mechanics I want our characters to have interacted with them, established them as as people who exist in this world, even in the most minute way before we then meet them again and see them or the one guy die. Like I want to know – I want to know something personal about these guys, not just him being like, oh, I'm going to get so drunk later. Like I want to know like the secrets that everybody in the town has. What's their idiosyncrasies? Yeah. Right. And then when they're in danger, we f- we care. I, I, then I'm like, oh my god, there's there's something at, at at stake here. Yeah, you know, and you can do that a lot of different ways, but you you can do it in the most in the primal sense that like, oh no, they're going to get killed. But you can also do it in the in the in the heart sense, the 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 sense of like. The things, the secrets they have and the life they're living matters to them, you know, and that's having small town interactions and idiosyncrasies and seeing what the relationships to each other mean internally to them is that's to me how like how you get in and and get compelling small town. This is probably true for anything, but like in particular in this small town like setting that's the kind of thing that I really want. So some examples maybe, yeah, for what you're imagining, like as if the the old man at the beginning, again, because he's credited as if that's his character name, like as if he had some sort of interaction with his little dog that we then later meet. You know, we actually get to see them together, which doesn't happen in the movie, I don't believe. Um that could have been a fun moment. Or let's yeah, say – Yeah, so I when, yeah, uh, yeah, just off the top of my head, let's say – that's a great example. Take the old man, right? All I need is 30 seconds of him calling for his dog and being like, where are you? You know, the meteor came, right? So – or while he's calling for the dog and not – and the dog's not coming back, seeing him look over at a picture of his wife – Who's dead? We would get that right away. And having the dog come back just a little long, like he has to wait for it. And you can see him being like, oh, shit, I can't lose another thing. And then the dog comes back and seeing him go, you know, just you don't have to say anything. You could say all of that in 30 seconds and then we care about him and we and, you know, we get on board with his sort of life. Or the um, the the drunk hosting the party. Like as if him and Steve had had a scene earlier in the movie, like maybe when he's buying the alcohol and he's like some super straight laced guy you wouldn't expect to get wasted like that. Yeah, all exactly. Of a at the party. He could be the guy going into the liquor uh, liquor store and some of the teenagers, which is very – I mean American Graffiti does this. But th- there's a teenager that we meet later standing outside being like, hey, man, can you buy me a – you know, here's $3. Can you buy me a, a, a whatever? And he's like, how dare you? You know what I mean? He says, like, that's inappropriate. You should be ashamed of yourself. Like, I, you know, you be mm-hmm. careful. Get out of here or else I know who you are. I know where you live. We live in the same town. Like, I know your dad. I'll tell him what's going on. You want that? And the kid's like, sorry, man. Like, take it easy. Like, chill out. See you later. 
and then we see him later at the party wasted. Yes, that's 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 the stuff. Free, yeah, that's well, that is American graffiti, which for me it's. Um, but that's yeah, why American you know, graffiti works. But they're they're different in that sense for me in a way that's not that like because the filmmakers didn't care about those things, I just didn't care about those sure. things for this one. <laughs> right, but I guess like, I like, guess what I'm saying is for me, like from a taste point of view, to to really get me into a movie like this, I I want stuff like that. Totally. Or well, well, I want if you were gonna throw it out, throw it out and just go on a, a like we're just running through the streets trying to get away from a thing. Totally. Well, we'll always have uh fiend without a face. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think did all those things better for you. I mean, dude, we watched that army dude run through the woods for like five minutes and back. And I'm right. into it. Like it works for me because something's happening. He's like he's got a goal and he, <laughs> he has to run and turn a thing on and blow a thing up and run back. Like all of that. Yeah, it's something. It's, it's funny because kind of, yeah, I mean, again, it was just the – the actors were enough for me to take care of these mm. things that maybe objectively could have. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Or I could say the non-actors too were enough in a sense <laughs> right, too. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all that did the lifting for me that, you know, in an objective way you could have maybe made the characters or script better. Just sure. Just by the end, I was feeling that on the first watch, but by the end of it, like everything had just won me over. Yeah. So like, cool. I, I, I agree, I guess, but it just didn't matter in the end. Or then what it would have been was something different, and right, I right. wouldn't want to change it at this point. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I dig I dig. Well, all of all of the above. <laughs> We've been touching on some things of note. Are you ready for that? Or Yes, let's do Great. it. Great. Here we go. Things of note. Things of note! <laughs> this should be interesting. imagining quentin tarantino's blob movie now tim which would be so good i've always i was always trying to imagine like how do you remake the blob whatever whatever yeah and so oh i guess this is things i'm no i did watch the sequel uh i think oh, it was really? from 72 which is known as son of the blob and beware of the blob yeah it's directed by of the blob Larry Hagman, you know, from Dallas, is it's his what? one sole directing credit. Oh it's got God. like, um, uh, actually from American Graffiti, what's her face? The non Laverne or uh, the, the non Penny Marshall Laverne, Cindy Williams is in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was great, but just a bit part. You even had Burgess Meredith pop up for a scene <laughs> who we just saw. Wow. <laughs> um, it, it was. Like the first 10 minutes, you just go like, oh God, this is bad. Like it's shot horribly and mm-hmm. just feels weird and is not good. And just, but then, you know what? By the end, I was, I, I quick, after a kind of rocky start, I got pretty on board with it just because it was fun to see like 19, you know, if this was quintessential 1950s people, this was quintessential 1960s, like teens, hippies, police or whatever. Okay. You know, they're like, they're like smoking pot. There's like a weird party or one of them's in a gorilla costume. It's just like, you know, the (laughs) cops accuse them of like, and I don't know, I don't know. And I don't care if you're on some sort of trip, but you know, like, you know, like, like that's the context of it. And 
And more just super fun model stuff of like the big finales at a, a bowling alley that's connected to an ice rink. And so like <laughs> the the model shot where it's like kind of like this in the movie theater, you have the miniature, um, all the end of the lanes of the bowling alley, you know, and like the the blob getting shoved through that and coming out as if it's taken over the whole bowling alley. It was so good. Cool. Um, so yeah, it was, it was it was it was do not regret watching it. It was more more blob action just set then. But anyway, back to yeah, what would Quentin Quentin Tarantino's remake be? I feel like even though my default approach to being a new blob movie would be you want to set it in the modern era, kind of like what you do with New Invasion mm. of the Body Snatchers. You know, always just let's have the fun. That is how you do the same story but make it fun again. But a Tarantino one, I think I would want to see it set in the 50s. Something oh, about yeah. that. Yeah. That's, Hell yeah. That's the one approach where I wouldn't want to see that uh, other approach of making it contemporary. Anyway, it's fun to imagine. Yeah. Well, Pulp, so, Pulp Fiction is basically a blob movie, so. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Inglorious Bastards? Um, oh, yes. I actually, I mean, actually, you know, it not too far, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is. Is, yeah, uh, throwbacky to that. Definitely. Closer to that time, nineteen seventy. It took place. Whatever. I really, really love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Anyway, yeah, we're on the blob, Tim. Did you have anything? Should I just ramble everything I found? What do you want to hear? Uh, no, I don't really have anything. My dad. Uh, just to bring back the my dad. Anytime in any form or another, uh, anything blobby comes up. My dad is is always very quick to be like, "Oh, Steve McQueen, The Blob, what a great movie!" He's like the movie theater scene. It's a great, yeah. the movie theater scene, <laughs> classic. <laughs> well, I'm glad you could uh, represent that. He'd say that if we can't hear it directly from him. Yeah, that, that'd be fun to get some follow up words from him. Uh, so, so yeah, I sort of mentioned, you know, Steve McQueen had some indifference towards playing a teenager when he was 27. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like in that in itself, also just as an acting challenge, as he put it, he kind of resented it where he's just like, oh, there's a monster. It's a monster. He kind of looked down at it for that while he was shooting it. Um, he said when people said he was good in it, he wasn't totally thrilled about it. You know, maybe he saw, mm-hmm. wanted to give a better performance. Um, he made only $3,000 on it because he preferred to get cash up front versus any profit participation. And the blob, it grows 30 times its original investment. So yeah, it was a $110,000 budget, I think, right? Yeah, and it yeah. made $4 million. Which, yeah, what a good <laughs> investment if he had taken it. And it's funny that it was funny listening to the Jack Harris commentary where he really wanted to get it under budget. The budget was set at $100,000. Oh. And he felt so, so bad during the special effects, um, you know, uh, production of the film when he had to go to some investors and say, oh, look, it's, I don't think I can get it under. In fact, it's got to take 10000 more. And the investor's response to that was, this movie's like already so cheap. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, right, right. You're making a $100,000 <laughs> movie here. It's okay, Jack. Um, so a bit on Jack Harris, too. It's fun hearing about his story and who he is, where he went on to help make, you know, Dark Star, the John Carpenter, Dan mm-hmm. O'Bannon film, and Equinox, Dennis Murin. But his deal was sort of taking, uh, in different stages, 
films that were being made independently or sort of by up-and-comers, first filmmakers, and, and harboring those into completion or in, and or distribution. Um, so the blob being the sort of big, big main first one that he did. That's a nice bit, of him. Yeah, about who he is. The filmmakers on this, you know, I mentioned the director's name, Irvin S. Yeworth, Yeworth Jr. Him and his crew were uh, just kind of just kind of left of the filmmakers of, you know, who are doing those industrial films who made Carnival of Souls. The blob filmmakers and his crew were religious film filmmakers. What? Which is pretty funny. Yeah. They were like, that was their deal where they got into, they had made tons of 16 millimeter, you know, religious film productions and went on oh. to do more stuff like that. But the blob was their foray into not doing that. Interesting. Um, yeah. And so let's see. Um, Oh, yeah, so, you know, you're interested in kind of little more tidbits on who Steve McQueen was and maybe little fun stories with him. It was really fun in Jack Harris's The Producer's Commentary, him talk about his relationship with Steve McQueen, where he told this one story where uh, he, you know, Steve was on the phone and said, you got, you got to get here, blah, blah, blah. Some problems going on. And... um Oh, wait, sorry. Real quick before I forget, let me back up. The only thing I kind of remembered about it being a religious film that affected it Mm -hmm. was that they couldn't shoot on Sundays. So they had like five Sundays where Jack Harris wishes they could have been shooting, but they couldn't. So anyway, back to Jack Harris talking about Steve McQueen. Uh, Yeah, he got the call one day. It sounded like there was just something going on where Steve was kind of calling in a tizzy and had to drive from some other obligation across state to show up and be like, all right, what's the problem, Steve? He shows up and Steve's just all casual. Oh, hey, Jack, how's it going? Well, what's going on? And apparently Steve had been like on the phone with his agent, his publicist, and had been like arguing with the director and all this stuff where the director didn't want Steve to see his, um, the dailies to see his Uh performance. Steve really wanted to, you know, work off of and see his, the dailies to work off of that. So the the attitude they sort of described it was it felt like Steve McQueen was saw even though he wasn't that much older at all was sort of like treating Jack Harris like he was the daddy and he was telling on dad that you know they weren't letting him see the footage kind of thing but Jack <laughs> Harris was kind of like listen I'm not the director if he doesn't want you to see the footage then that's up to him kind of thing and then and then it was okay after that but he was apparently putting up <laughs> quite the tantrum of like I'm going to tell or yeah I'm going to well let's get Jack on board and see what he says kind of wow. thing wow it's funny. And then so then he just sort of tells the story of when he'd uh, see him throughout over the course of the years. Steve McQueen didn't live till that long. Um, yeah. What did he die? He had cancer of some sort, yeah, right? Yeah, I think at like, was he like 40 or somewhere in that, somewhere in that range? Yeah. Um, and let me look. Oh, he at was 50. definitely young. He died at 50. Oh, yeah. yeah. 50? That's so young. Yeah. Jesus. So... It was funny. He told like one of the first times he'd ran into him after not seeing him for years was at the super a supermarket in L.A. I wish I knew which one it was, but <laughs> um, he was just they were checking out and Steve McQueen didn't see Jack Harris there. He was just like a couple people behind him or whatever in line, and uh, the um, 
the woman checking him out, Steve McQueen, was like, oh, don't I know you from somewhere? Or <laughs> I recognize you, you know, which I'm sure he gets all the time. And Steve McQueen was like, oh, yeah, you know, The Great Escape and listening to some of his big films like that. And then Jack Harris from behind was like, how about The Blob, Steve? And Steve, like, turned and looked at him, you know, <laughs> probably chuckled like, hey, it's you. But then he was immediately just like, well, it's not a tell-all. That's what he said to him. Like, it's like hiding that past of the blob or something. Um, That's funny. And then uh, I hadn't seen him again for like eight or nine years. And he said randomly, like, uh, I don't know if he was out in Malibu or whatever, Jack Harris's house, somewhere by the beach. He sees Steve McQueen standing outside of his house. And after hadn't, not having seen him for nine years, he's like, what are you doing here, Steve? And Steve's like, well, I want to make it a movie over here, and I wanted to rent your house out for the month. And he's like, I don't think, you know, that's not going to work. Whatever, whatever, whatever. But that was kind of funny. And then and then uh, Jack went to visit Steve when he, when he died on his, what was essentially his deathbed, which was, in, he was down in Mexico just, getting some kind of experimental treatment or just, Mm. you know, pick that place to kind of go out or whatever. He was um, in some, not not Adobe, (laughs) but, you know, know, this Mexican house. And um, after, so so it was kind of neat, where like after these recurring sort of stories about Steve McQueen, oh, no, here's the ending. uh, Sorry, the other fun thing that happened when he was standing outside of his house in Malibu. Um, He... He said, like, Steve's uh, agent or something was, like, there, too. And um, what, 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 God, what exactly did he say? Were, he, he had said something about, like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Jack was my producer on the blob and kind of, you know, downplayed it or something. Like, it was just some little thing. And uh, Jack was like, now, hang on, Steve. Would you be standing here in front of my house today if it wasn't for the blob? And Steve was kind of <laughs> like, no, no, I guess you're right. You know, did get him to, to reassess the importance it played in his life. So anyway, now back to Mexico. Steve's dying. And he sees that uh, hanging on Steve's wall right next to his bed is indeed a poster for the blob. Oh, Wow. Well, yeah. it was his first leading role, so, you know, yeah. big big deal. I think he, yeah, and he seems like he saw that in the end, kind of came full circle, hopefully appreciated the fandom for it in the end. Yeah. But that was that was a fun, fun, fun ending to the sort of their relationship, their story, his story with the blob. Um, Jack Harris was in, literally inspired by another film we just covered, the thing from another world. He mm. said he saw the thing as an intended audience member and had like reacted accordingly, had a ball, thought it was great, and thought, yeah, I should make a sci-fi monster movie. Nice. Well, um, he did. <laughs> and then the, a little bit that I caught with the uh, commentary with the director, he told the anecdote where it's great sort of how it all came together, but they like randomly saw Steve McQueen in Central Park. They had met him before, you know, him and the producer, him and the producer, Jack. Uh, they saw him in Central Park and sort of there and then they had met each other a long time ago, the two of them and Steve McQueen. But then and there they struck a deal for the blob just after running into him sort of Whoa. about at the right time. It's funny. That's But wild. it was just, just one of those little anecdotes that made it seem like it was all you know, one of those films that had serendipity on its side, as we've seen many of the classics do. Yeah. Cool. And then I already mentioned last thing I had was there is indeed a blob fest 
in <laughs> in Pennsylvania where the the, the theater or is shot in uh, in a Phoenixville, I think is the town. And it started in 2000. And this year they're doing their first virtual blob fest mm. due to coronavirus pandemic. Uh, but hey, it's still still going. You can see the blob itself. It's great. Like just I watched, you know, James Rolfe's and Massacre's little overview on it. It looks it's so great. Like they recreate the running out of the theater. We have just as many people reenacting as you do onlookers. And then, like, after everyone runs out, they have, like, a couple people dressed as firefighters, you know, with extinguishers. And then you have the the owner of the blob, like, take he comes out with this bucket that says the blob on it and holds it up, and everyone's, <laughs> like, cheering for the blob. Oh, my um, God. Which, it's made out of silicone, silicone and food dye, just red food coloring. Okay. So... He's been told that silicone, unlike, you know, a lot of the costumes for all the other old classic monsters, which have all rotted away, that this thing will outlive us all. Silicone blob. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So there's well, some fun some some fun blob facts for you too. And then yeah, there's the sequel I saw. There's the eighties remake. Rob Zombie I'd really was like apparently to watch gonna make the, it. The eighties one. Yeah. Me too. Well, I think we'll we'll get to it on the show eventually. I think that sounds right. Yep. Great. Any other questions or comments for things of note, Tim? Uh, I just like that the uh, you had mentioned the the opening song written by Burt Backrack and Mac David. Yeah, it was a it became a hit. He was on and, the Billboard chart. <laughs> so my my favorite part about it is it's credited to the band The Five Blobs. Yeah. So it's it's called the Blob <laughs> by the Five Blobs, but really it's one guy overdubbing uh, all the parts. So it's funny. Oh my god, that's so funny! It's such <laughs> a funny song, and it's on Spotify. Everyone, so rock out, yeah. knock yourself out. <laughs> um. Yeah. That's all. That's really all I got. It's so amazing. It made a ton of money. Yeah. Like happened right at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Big hit. Yeah. It's the blob. Cool, Again, hi- high concept. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. The blob. We'll put a bow on you and wrap up our episode as we do with if we have any recommendations. Tim, because I can segue, I'm going to jump in and go ahead. But I was holding my tongue when you said the beginning reminded you of um, like er- the early James Bond movies. Because I've just, something about the end of the year leading up to New Year's and New Year's Eve, I just got on this James Bond kick. And I oh, watched nice. like Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice. Like I watched those, you know, the those Sean Connery ones in succession. Mm-hmm. They're all chronological. They were so good. Like I've never appreciated them as much as I did, you know, at, I don't know, since ever I last watched them. Yeah. But I, I get more than ever why Sean Connery is people's favorite. And oh, yeah. just yeah, the music, the this the whole sixties, seventies, what yeah, no, sixties for those aesthetic were just so good i loved it so much and it's made me excited to kind of like i'm kind of hopping around the whole james bond Mm -hmm. um series now but uh i could just recommend those through those three and i kind of do but uh i'll say start with goldfinger is where i started and then if you enjoy that just keep it going with thunderball you only live twice but yeah goldfinger God, and that theme that it starts with oh Mm -hmm. i just love it so much tim and i'm sure you do too Oh, 
Definitely. I, I mean, personally, I think my favorite is From Russia With Love. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so that means I have to recommend Dead Something. God, boy, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, man, what have I been doing? I rewatched all of the Star Wars movies in a particular order. So I'm going to recommend Dead this order. So get a pen out. Here we go. Ready? Start with episode four, A New Hope. Then go to Rogue One so you can see how they got the Death Star plans. Then go to Empire Strikes Back. Then, since you've just found out that Vader is Luke's father, oh, sorry, spoiler alert, go back to the prequels, episode one, two, and three. Having said that, they are awful, the prequels. I Like, really hard to watch. So many problems. The first one will always hold a special place in my heart. That's my That's favorite fine. out of them. I No joke. I think that I, in watching them, I was like, they're, they're so close to having everything you need to make it amazing. And they just missed on a couple, it's, for a couple reasons. And there's, you could go down an infinite rabbit hole of reasons why. Topher Grace did a, a fan edit of them. Oh, and nice. Apparently, I, like, I would, I would, we were thinking about that when, when I was watching, when I was talking about how, what you would cut and how you could make a one movie out of those three movies. You could do it. It's not available, um, but that's why you need to be friends with him. So... <laughs> But other people have made fan edits from the prequels. Anyways, I'll yeah. always defend the first one. I know it's largely to do because I was the perfect age when I saw it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's something it it's the shot on filmness. It has it doesn't feel like a big blueby CG mess in the way that two and three do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the pod racing scene's awesome, and the Darth Maul and the fight with him is awesome. Totally, totally. And uh, Qui Gon and Obi Wan, even though they're kind of kind of wet blankety throughout they're still Mm -hmm. kind of fun at the same time um so after you do one two and three i suggest you do solo um because it it actually would happen chronologically next and then you jump to the the most recent trilogy the last three what is that seven eight and nine right yeah um and that's it that's my order i did them all uh, leading up to the release of nine, but in like chronological story order, like starting yeah. with one. So why not That's fun. Rogue One before New Hope? Um, because I think that it's important if you're gonna watch the this like this is the sort of the the bulk of it. Obviously, is the Skywalker sort of saga. So I think it it just makes sense to start and end with the you know the establishment of the world through Luke's eyes and end with it through Ray's eyes. Like that makes that just from a broad arc storytelling point of view, I think that makes the most sense because, you know, Rogue One is just a side movie. It's not really linked into the greater story, but it is a fun little side story. So, yeah. Yeah. I will say, because I think it would be weird. It would be weird to, if you, if you came in completely blind had never watched any Star Wars and you start with Rogue One, I don't think it would make sense. You'd be like, who, who's who and why and what? And like when right. Vader and Leia show up at the end, you'd be like, 
you wouldn't care. The impact of that would mean nothing. So, but you have seen it. So is the order you watched it in kind of like what you'd want to show to kids if you had them? Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, honestly, my, my niece and nephew right now are doing all of them in order of like release date. And they got to, um, they haven't seen Revenge of the Sith. And my my brother and his wife were like, is this okay for them? Like, they're pretty young. And I was like, it's not. Like, they, they and they're, like, my niece and nephew are, you know, they're, they're sensitive, right? Like, they're not, they're not, like, into violence or, like, pain or, you know, <laughs> trauma. <laughs> and I don't think they could watch it. It's so, it's so intense at the end. Yeah, it's when also he's getting not, his face burned off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude. So, yeah. <laughs> I think you, you know, go watch the Battle for Endor or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's two Ewok movies. Yeah, Caravan of Courage and the Battle for Endor. There's all these like Lego holiday specials and things like. Oh that. my god, we tried watching <laughs> the the holiday special. Like it's on YouTube. I. To whew, woof, it is life day, yeah, unacceptable. <laughs> well, anyway, so there you go. That's my recommendation. That order. So uh, Tim also has his Marvel movie order recommendation. Deadshin. That uh, that's right. You can scroll down on our Instagram and see. So yeah. Now the Star Wars one too. Great, great. Well, I mean, hey, we could. I could go on endlessly about Star Wars, but we're not here for that. I was really <laughs> inspired by like conceptualizing how. Because of like how we do on this show often talking about what would you do to make it different or better. And man, I like – I love Star Wars and I can see really amazing movies in the prequels that just did, – it didn't achieve that. But like I can in my brain conceive of of what I think would be just so great. And, and, and I was, my friend was like – do you think they'll ever remake these movies? And I don't – I don't know. I almost think in like 50 years they might. Yeah, I've always thought about that. It's interesting though how they're working them into canon in a way. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I I feel more – more mixed feelings let down about the sequel trilogy than the prequel trilogy at this point. Cause they seem yeah. the prequel trilogy trilogy. I can kind of detach from mm-hmm. the originals, but just as far as living through the sequel trilogy, just as far as feeling more like a missed opportunity. I mean, it yeah. all is, but maybe it's yeah. just cause it's more recent and I'm not as much of a kid, but we still have the kid in us, which is why we're still talking about it. Agreed. <laughs> <we> care. Yep. <laughs> Um, all right, well, so enough with that. I'm going to pull from the hat. Are you ready? Yes! This one. Whoa, it's a long one. Here we go. It says, oh, The Endless. It's a, from 2018. It was submitted by Jesse Brownstein. And then there's a quote, these guys were written about, and then that's all it says. I don't know what they were written about. But I know that I know these guys. Oh, you guys, didn't print the, it all out? It's, I guess he not. Said, it says, um, <laughs> these guys were written about as a new voice of horror, and I don't uh, understand, and I don't really understand why. So something to that effect, <laughs> I, Jesse was wondering. 
Yeah, uh, I've watched three or four of their movies. Um, their and, movies? Well, I've recommended one of them. Uh, Spring, I recommended it at one point. Um, yeah, I mean, Benson and Moorhead is, are the directors. I, I think that their movies are really interesting. So, Got it. you know, we'll talk about it. Cool, cool. Great, that's exactly what he wants to hear, is us to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you figure out why. Do we agree? Do we disagree? Great. Well, until next week for The Endless, you can find us wherever you found us. We got an Instagram, we got a Twitter, we got a website URL, dismemberinghore.com. You can comment, send us messages, all those places. Submit a movie yourself you'd like us to dismember. We'd love that. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Well, in closing, do beware the blob. And thanks for listening. That's right. And we will see you next week. Good blob. Good blob. <laughs>